Take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me, please, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, and beginning in verse 15 and reading down through verse 17. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? I thought of this passage when I was uh, thinking of Jonathan and his gifts and talents leading us to give praise to God. We'll begin reading in verse 15. Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, we are so privileged to be a part of the bride of Christ. To be in the church, to be a part of the redeemed who can sing out our praises to you and offer thanks. God, we thank you for regenerating us when we were dead in trespasses and sins. For giving us life, for calling us to a relationship with you, for putting us into a family. And Lord, as we recognize the gifts of one this morning and how that enriches the whole body, Lord, may it be a reminder to us that each one of us need to find our place of service. And we need to serve you and edify the church and encourage the church even as Jonathan and Laura do. We pray your blessings on them. And Lord, help us all to be salt and light and to understand, God, the urgency of life. We have such a short period of time to serve you. Help us to make it count. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to listen to the following words. And as I read the following words to you, some of you are going to recognize these words. Some of you will know right off the bat where they come from. But I want you to listen what they say anyway. It's a a prayer. And in this prayer, the writer says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth... And the world from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You return man to dust and say return O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight or but as yesterday when it is past. Or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. 
For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone away and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you recognize those words? Those are the words of Moses in Psalm 90. In fact, the way Psalm 90 is introduced, it is introduced as a prayer of Moses. And do you hear what he's saying there in that prayer? It is a prayer about the urgency of life. Folks, life is fleeting away. Life is but a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow. We all have such a short period of time uh, on this earth to live our lives and to serve Christ and make a difference. Do we ever stop to take account of what we're doing with our time? How about the relationships you have, the opportunities of service and ministry that you have? What are you and I doing with all of these blessings that God has given to us? Because one of these days, each one of us will stand before the Lord. And when we stand there, it is my prayer that we would hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. But what we see in this passage in Ephesians is that from the moment of our conversion, we need to look at time and opportunity and life differently. It takes on a whole new significance. And let's see how he develops that here. The first thing I want you to notice with me today is that we need to take care as to how we walk. There in verse 15, Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now the King James Version uses that word circumspectly. He says, walk circumspectly. And that is a word that refers to looking around. Look all around your life in a circle in all different directions. What are you doing with your opportunities? What about those around you? As you look at your surroundings, you need to be very, very careful. Now, folks, we tell our children and grandchildren that, don't we? We tell our children they need to be very much aware of the company they keep, very much aware of their surroundings, We tell them to have eyes to look after all that. And the Bible is saying that you and I as believers need to do the very same thing. We need to walk circumspectly, walk looking around. In other words, don't just walk through life blindly marking time. Life has more significance to it than that. And so we need to walk carefully. What is your lifestyle? What are your habits? What are your passions in your life? And what is the pattern of your life? What are you trading a day of your life for? Think about it that way. 
You see, the person who doesn't recognize God just gets up and he goes about his day and his life never thinking of the larger issues of life. But as believers, we're not to live that way. We need to do a periodic checkup and ask ourselves, how am I walking? Now, I want you to notice what Paul says here about that. He says that we're not to walk in foolishness. If you were to go back to chapter 4 and begin reading in verse uh, 17, Paul says, This I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That is how so many in the culture are living their lives and conducting themselves. The lost man walks, he lives his life in a very foolish way. Paul says here he's living his life in the futility of his mind. His mind only knows essentially the ways of darkness. He's living his life in the ways of darkness. Now he can be highly educated. He can be brilliant in the ways of the world. But nonetheless he walks without a true understanding of God. He doesn't know God. And because of his rejection of God, there's a callousness over his heart that affects and impacts his understanding. He lives materially. He lives for the things of the world and things of this life. And the Bible says that is a very foolish way of living. You know, in the Word of God, God calls out for us to walk in wisdom. I think of his words in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, the writer says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market she raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the city gate. She speaks, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. He continues in chapter 2 saying, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Don't you love those verses? God wants to make his wisdom known to us as we walk. Folks, an unexamined life is going to tend to be a wasted life. So again, take care as to how you walk. Notice how he goes on. He continues this thought of walking in wisdom. In verse 14, if we were to back up to that verse in chapter 5, he says, wake up or awake, rise out of your slumber 
It's time for Christians to wake up. Paul's writing to Gentiles here. And many of these Gentiles, well all these Gentiles to whom he's writing, he's pointing out to them that there was a time in their lives that they didn't know God. They were separated away from all of the promises and covenants of God. They were alienated from the life of God. Indeed, as he points out in Ephesians 2, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. But God regenerated them. God gave them new life. They're born again through faith in Jesus Christ. And what he's pointing out for all of us, that after becoming Christians, we need to realize that the, the world is still walking around in darkness and in deadness. Spiritual deadness and blindness. But you and I need to wake up. We need to seek the Lord and we need to live for Him and we need to walk in light. And we need to walk in the wisdom that He provides. In other words, he is saying the entire orientation of our life needs to change. How we think, how we speak, the motivations of our heart, the way we conduct ourselves, everything in life as a believer is supposed to change because if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And so walk in wisdom. Now folks, as we talk about wisdom, the Bible also points out there's two entirely different kinds of wisdom. There's a wisdom we see every day in the world. And there's a wisdom from God that is from above. James talks about those in James chapter 3. He says, who among you is wise and understanding. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But notice what he says about the wisdom from above. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. That's the wisdom that we're to walk in. As we take notice of our life, as we are careful in our walk and we walk in wisdom, we are to seek that wisdom that is from above that God offers to His children. Folks, do we examine our lives? Do we examine our walk? What are you doing with the life that God created? The life that He's given to you? What are you doing with the gifts and talents and opportunities God has given to you? You know, I think of a man in the Old Testament, a very tragic story, the way it ends. And it's sad the way it ends because had it not ended on a sad note, here's a man that would have been a hero to every boy growing up. He would have been like Superman. You know who I'm talking about? talking about Samson. From the time of Samson's birth, the Bible says God set him apart. He set him apart in his mother's womb. He anointed Samson 
with his spirit. He gave Samson this strength and he called Samson to be one of the judges of Israel during a time that everybody in the land was doing whatever they wanted to do. They were living however they pleased and whatever seemed good to them in their own eyes, God raised up these judges to lead the nation. And Samson was one of those. And just look at how God gifted Samson. But you know what? He did not take care as to his walk. Samson evidently had a problem with lust. He had a problem with women. And, and we notice right away in his life that he, he sees this Philistine woman. Now remember they were off limits to the Hebrews. But he liked the way she looked. And so he said to his parents, you need to go get her for me. I want her to be my wife. And they said, not so, son. This is a thing that should not happen in the land of Israel. And he said, go get her for me. She's pleasing to my eyes. And so they did. It was a disaster. After that marriage, uh, we read about Samson going into a prostitute. And then we, end, we read of him ending up with a lady like Delilah. And you've got to ask yourself, how in the world could a man be so foolish? He didn't guard his heart. He didn't take notice of his walk. And because of that, he ended up having his eyes gouged out. Think of that. He had a problem with lust. His eyes ended up being gouged out. And then as he killed the Philistines as they were gathered together in that banquet that day, guess what? In that final act, his own life was taken. What a waste. What a waste. I would imagine that Samson did not take time to look at his walk. He just went through life and ignored many of those safeguards that God had put up. And Paul is saying here, as believers, we don't need to do that. Take care how you walk. Now, second thing I want you to notice he urges us uh, toward is to take care with how you use your time. He says in verse 16, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Folks, actually, how we use our time is a reflection of what we do under the first point. Walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom is shown by what we do with our opportunities each day. Christians need to take notice of how we're using time. Dr. John MacArthur writes, he says, Now, aside from Christians living in direct disobedience to the Word of God, aside from direct disobedience to the Word of God, he said where Christians probably fail the most in their Christian walk is because they don't take account of their time. They don't use their time wisely. You know what Napoleon, that great military general, said? He wrote, as he was talking about going into battle, he wrote that there is about a 15-minute window that if a commander messes up what he does with that 15 minutes, probably the battle will be lost. Folks, time ought to be seen by the believer as being very important. Time was very important in the biblical way of thinking. 
when you read the Old Testament and you think about a lot of the pagan neighbors uh, of Israel, they didn't have a proper view of time. Many of them viewed time in cyclical terms. They, they worshipped in nature religions and they had false gods and idols and they just saw time as going around and around in circles. If you live a good life, you might come back as something better. If you live a bad life, you might come back as something worse. A lot of the Eastern religions are that way. And then in New Testament times, the Greeks were kind of the same way. They didn't view time the way God views time. But you come to the Bible, both Old and New Testament, and and time is viewed in a linear fashion. God has created time. There's a beginning, there's an end, and history is going somewhere. History is His story, and history is not some meaningless cycle. History is valuable. In fact, in Galatians 4.4, the Bible says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons in the fullness of time. Time means something. What are we looking forward to now in the church? What's the next great event In God's timetable, it's when Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, comes for his bride and we experience the consummation of time. But my point is, in the Bible, time is going somewhere. God is doing something with time. All of those Old Testament sacrifices were intended to point forward, to keep the people in earnest waiting and hoping for that perfect sacrifice that God would give one day when He would send His Son into the world who would be the Lamb of God and would deal with sin in that final and complete way. Time means something. You know, it was Patrick Henry who said, I regret that I have but one life to give to my country. We ought to have the attitude that I regret that I have but one life to surrender to my Lord. Folks, we need to view time importantly. And we see here the call to serve God in both time and culture. Culture fixes us to a definite location. We're to serve God where we live. And then we take the gospel out from here. We serve the Lord at this moment in time in history and in this culture. And sad to say in this culture, this is not Mayberry anymore, right? This not Mayberry anymore. I mean, just think of the way things have changed in the last 30 or 40 years. It's staggering. It's staggering with all the things that we're bombarded by these days and the special challenges, the special uh, opportunities, but also the special temptations. And we have a call upon our lives. God has placed us as members of the body of Christ uh, in this church at this time so we can be salt and light in this community to this culture. And we need to rise to that challenge. There's the command here to seize 
time. Notice that Paul uses the word redeem. He says that we are to redeem the time. Now, I've made the distinction for you before in these words for time that he writes about. There is chronos time. That's not the time that he uses here. Chronos time is like the time on your watch right now or the time on your calendar. Chronos time. That is not the word for time that Paul uses here in the Greek language. He uses the word kairos time. Kairos time is a special moment of opportunity. Jesus used this term. He said, my appointed time, my kairos is near. Remember how oftentimes the religious leaders would try to take Jesus or the crowd would try to take him by force. The crowd would try to take him by force and make him king. And he would slip through the crowd and disappear. Maybe the crowd was going to try to take him in hostility. And he would slip through the crowd. He said, my time is not yet. But that final week of his life as they were getting ready to go up to Jerusalem for the third Passover that he celebrated with his disciples during his earthly ministry, he said, guys, it's time to go up to Jerusalem now to the Passover because it is my kindness. It's my time. And so that means that Christians are to view time differently. We're not just marking chronos time. We are practicing our kairos moments within chronos time. Folks, that is how we're to live our lives. We're to look at our time, look at our moments of opportunity... And and he says here that we're not simply to leave things to chance. We don't leave things to chance because he says the days are evil. Folks, if we just go through life treading water and marking time, it's going to be kind of like the flow of water or electricity. What does water and electricity do? It just sort of descends on the path of least resistance. And that's how we're going to end up living our lives. But Christians aren't supposed to live that way. In fact, I want you to notice that first word, Paul uses the word redeem. That was an old word that came out of the marketplace analogy that you would see items there and you would redeem them. You would buy them up. And so Paul is saying to the church, you need to buy up. Time and opportunities to be used in your service for the Lord. It's like what he's saying is as an unbeliever you wasted enough of your life. Think of all those months and years of your life, maybe even decades of your life, that you wasted because you were living for this world and the things of this world and you were not living for God. Paul says, but now that you're a believer, buy up, those, buy up those opportunities. Redeem the time. Don't waste time like you used to do. We need to look at time as a commodity. Buy it up. Use it for the Lord. Use it for the sake of the gospel. As the great theologian Charles Hodge defined it, he said, rescuing it from waste or abuse. Philip Melanchthon was one of the reformers 
in the church in the 16th century. And God used Philip Melanchthon in mighty, mighty ways. And you know why? I think one of the reasons that God used Philip Melanchthon so tremendously is because Philip said that he would, at the end of each day, he would make a log of how he had spent every moment and every opportunity of that day. And he would get at the end of the day and he would reflect on everything that he had done. And he would go before God and he would confess confess all those moments of that day that he had not redeemed, that he had not bought up in service for the Lord. I think that's one of the reasons God used him in such a mighty way in the Reformation. Folks, that's how we need to look at time. It's important. That's how we need to look at our opportunities. God may give you an opportunity with somebody tomorrow that he may not give to you again. We need to buy up those moments. We need to use time wisely. I think of the joke of the guy who went to his doctor and his doctor said, I've got good news for you and I've got bad news for you. And the patient said, well, I want to hear the good news first. And the doctor said, the good news is you've got 24 hours left to live. And he said, wow, that's the good news? If that's the good news, what's the bad news? The doctor said, I was supposed to call you yesterday with this news. (laughs) Folks, every day is a gift from God. We need to live every day as though we did just have one day left. Think about it. You and I are not promised tomorrow. In fact, we're not even guaranteed the rest of this day. And so we need to be careful because life is a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Now in thinking about time, we're prone to two extremes. On the one hand, we'll procrastinate and we'll put things off. Some people, on the other hand, drive themselves mercilessly. They never relax. They never rest. They never pray. They never have any of those Sabbath moments in their life where they can kind of recharge their batteries. And that's not right either. We are neither to procrastinate nor drive ourselves relentlessly. We are to have the proper view and the proper use of time. We're not to leave God out. How can we redeem the time? Well, in two ways. First of all, there's the prayer principle. Use the prayer principle. Go before God and spend some moments each day before God asking Him for direction and wisdom and how He wants you to use your day. Folks, that is never a waste of time to sit before God. The old wood choppers would take an axe and periodically they would have to stop what they were doing They would sit down and rest, and as they were sitting down resting, they would sharpen their axe. Was that a waste of time? Absolutely not. Use the prayer principle. Sit before God and pray about your day. And then the priority principle. God, what is it that you want me to do today? You see, so oftentimes the argument is not between the good and the bad, but between the good and the better. God... I've got a finite amount of 
moments today. How do you want me using this? You see, folks, in Jesus' life, he he lived on this earth 33 brief years. And yet, with only 33 brief years, he was able to say to God, God, everything you've given me to do, I've done. Now, folks, think about that. There were villages that Jesus had not yet visited. In fact, there would be times when Jesus was in communion with the Father and everybody would be looking for Him. I think of that occasion in Mark 1.35 that everybody was looking for Jesus because He had been teaching them and He had been doing many miracles and He had been touching lives and healing people. And there was a great crowd early one morning and everybody was looking for Jesus. When His disciples found Him, they said, Lord, where have you been? Do you not realize the crowds are looking for you? And Jesus Jesus said, come on guys, let's go. Let's go to another village for this reason I came into the world. You hear what he's saying there? Jesus didn't go into every single village that he could have gone into. He didn't touch every single life that he could have potentially touched. But he did exactly what the Father gave him to do. So that at the end of his life he could say, Father, what you gave me to do, I've done. I have finished it. Are you looking at your life that way? How can I prioritize things? How can I let God prioritize things in my life? God in charge of my calendar. God in charge of my appointments. God in charge of my week. So that if I were to have to stand before God at the end of this day or the end of this week, I could say, Father, what you gave me to do, I did. Folks, redeem the time. Don't waste your life. Don't go through life the way many Christians do. Just sort of letting, like the commercials say, let life come at you fast. You're just there kind of treading water. You don't have any goals in your life for what you want to do with your life serving Christ. You're just, life is just sort of happening and you're not even looking at life. You're not even looking at your relationships. You're not even looking at your opportunities from a biblical perspective at all. What a shame. What a shame. We need to change the way we look at time. And then a third admonition he gives here. He wants us to understand the will of the Lord. Look at what he says uh, as we go on in verse 18. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do not be ignorant, but understand the will of the Lord. Folks, the foolish person not only misses opportunities to to use time wisely, he's got a more fundamental problem. He doesn't understand what God's purposes are for mankind. But as Christians, you know what the most important thing for us is? It's not what I want or you want. God, what is your will? What is your will? 
We need to ask that question in general. God, what is your will? A lot of times we just want to know, God, what's your will for my life? God, what is your will? And then within that, perhaps, what is your will for my life? But we need to understand the will of God from a biblical perspective too. And how are we going to know that? It's so simple. 90% of understanding the will of God is found in the Word of God. Saturating your heart and your mind with the Word of God so that in the Old and New Testament you can see how God dealt with people and how He dealt with different scenarios because the Bible says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to get to know God. The better, we, the better that we get to know God in His Word, then the better we can discern what He's up to in our life. And so much, again, so much of the will of God. I'll have couples come and say, Pastor, by the way, pastors are probably asked about the will of God more than anything else. They'll come and say, what, what should I know about the will of God in this scenario? And I might open the Bible and say, let's read this passage right here together. And we'll read it. They'll be like, whoa. And I'll say, does that sound like what you're facing? They'll say, that sounds exactly like what I'm going through. Well, what's God saying there to do? They said, thank you, Pastor. I've never seen that before. But it's in God's Word. We need to get to know God's Word. We get to, need to get to know the mind and the heart of God. And the better we know what He teaches us in this book, the better we're going to know God and His ways. And so the better we'll be able to recognize things that are within the scope of His will and things that aren't. Now folks, I know the Word of God doesn't give us a chapter and a verse over every little detail, every little situation you face in your life. For instance, you might say, we're, we're buying a new house. We found two. Should we buy house A or should we buy house B? Well, Bible's not going to tell you that. But there are some other principles that might come into play. Which one of them's within your budget? If one of them's out of your budget, if you can maybe still afford it, but it's a little bit out of your budget, God doesn't want you becoming a slave to that debt. So that's something you need to consider. Which one of those is going to free you up enough to continue to give to the things of the Lord? What if God wants you going on a mission trip? What if God wants you going into the ministry or going on the mission field? I've, I've talked to guys before that they say, Pastor, I know without a shadow of a doubt that God's called me into the ministry. But I'm so far up to here in debt, I can't afford to. i got to just keep doing what I'm doing. What a shame. The Word of God helps us with principles. Even when we don't have a chapter and a verse on something, the Word of God helps us with principles so we can better get to know the mind and the heart of God. Saturate your mind on the Word of God. Folks, don't wait until you get in that crisis and, and then like a madman you're trying to search, now where, you know, what's God, where can I find something that will give me guidance? But if through your life you're studying this book, 
you'll better know the will of God. The second thing you need to do in understanding the will of God is you need to talk to uh, trusted Christian friends who are mature in their faith because the Bible says, in the presence of many counselors, there is wisdom. But the will of God, what I want you to understand, Paul is saying for the believer, don't go through your life and miss out on understanding the will of God. There is nothing more significant that I can do in my life. There's nothing more significant that I can invest my life in than doing the will of God. And notice the public nature to it. We don't have time. I'm not going to say in conclusion and go on 30 minutes, okay? But in conclusion, notice how Paul says this has a corporate effect to it as well. Not being drunk with wine, but being filled with spirit, understanding what the will of the Lord is. What's the next thing that he says? Singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And Jonathan does a wonderful job in leading us to do that. What he's talking about here though, is there is a corporate aspect to the Christian life. It's not about just understanding the will of the Lord in isolation from everybody else, but understanding the will of the Lord in a corporate body so we can pray for one another and we can encourage one another. And you know the scripture says we ought to be doing that all the more seeing that the day is approaching. Seeing that the day is approaching. Your redemption is nearer today than it was yesterday. You and I need to understand the will of the Lord. Folks, he's talking here about the urgency of life. You're going to go to work tomorrow and you're going to work beside people who are just existing through life. They're just marking time. You, however need to understand how you're walking and look around your life. Be careful. Guard your heart. You need to make wise use of your time and understand your kairos moments that God has given to you, opportunities. Don't miss those. And by all means, don't miss out on understanding God's will and doing God's will. Life is urgent. Moses said in Psalm 90, you might have 70 years. If you're healthy and strong, you might have 80 years. But regardless, guess what? It goes by quickly, so quickly. Life is gone just like that. As you stand before God, are you going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will you be one of those that's just kind of cruised through life doing your own thing? Time is urgent. Life is urgent. Look at your life. This morning you might need to surrender your life to Christ. Perhaps perhaps the Lord has been moving on your heart. I've heard people say, Pastor, when the invitation was sung... God was working on my heart, so I was gripping the pew. 
You know, if God's working on your heart, the Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. You have nothing to gain and potentially everything to lose by procrastinating on that aspect of your life. You need to say, God, regenerate me. Save me. I'd like to pray with you about that this morning. There may be some opportunities in your life, some kairos moments in your life that are going on right now. Some situations you want to come to this altar in a public way and pray about. Now folks, most often I realize we don't need to come in a public way, but there's some things God puts on our heart that maybe you feel pressed to come in a public way. You do so this morning. You may be convicted this morning about wasting time and not using a lot of your time for the things of the Lord. And you want the Lord to help shape you and mold you more in the course of your days and weeks and months. Perhaps you want to come and pray about that. Maybe there's an issue in the will of God right now that you're struggling with. Could it be a call to ministry? Could it be a call to the mission field? Could it be some major adjustment in your life that God is calling on you to make and you're struggling with the will of God and you want other Christians to pray with you? I'll be down front to pray with you. There are other pastors that will be down front to pray with you. Understand this morning the urgency of life. The urgency of life. Are you living as a good steward of all that God has given to you to use for His kingdom's purposes? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You that You have a plan and a purpose for our lives. You do not want us living as the unbelievers live. You want us to think differently, speak differently, act differently, look at time differently, look at relationships differently. Everything about a believer ought to be different. God, we thank you for pointing these things out to us in your word. And we do pray, God, that we would make those adjustments in our lives So we could hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, life is brief. May we see the urgency to what you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.